Welcome to the TSO Podcast. I'm Kathleen Kajioka from the New Classical FM. That's the wonderful thing about cross-cultural musical experiences is that there's inevitably some kind of musical activity that we share in terms of how we work with musical ideas. That's composer Pat Carabray. You'll hear more from him later in the show. But first, when he came to the TSO, Jonathan Crowe was the youngest concertmaster of a major North American orchestra. The TSO is very lucky to have him leading the ensemble and especially lucky when he steps into a solo role. That's what he'll do this week with a performance of Vaughn Williams' Lark Ascending. My co-host, TSO principal bass Jeff Beecher, went backstage to talk to Jonathan Crow about the piece. Take a listen. Backstage at Roy Thompson Hall with concertmaster Jonathan Crow. Jonathan, welcome to the show. Thanks very much. So, Jonathan, you're about to take center stage as soloist for Vaughn Williams' Lark Ascending. What's it like for you as a leader to kind of stand up and, and play in front of your colleagues? I know you lead often from the first desk, but it's probably a little different playing a solo piece like this. Uh, it's actually a kind of funny question. You know, I used to think when I was teaching a lot that the most nerve-wracking thing would probably be getting up on stage in front of my students and having to play for them. Um, as I teach a lot in Toronto and playing with the orchestra, I'm realizing now that getting up in front of my own orchestra and having all my students in the audience is probably about the most nerve-wracking thing that I could possibly do. Um, But I love playing solo with the Toronto Symphony because it's such a great group of people and the colleagues here are so supportive. Um, So I'm really excited to have this opportunity. This piece is often at the number one spot in in requests. I know Britain, you know, decade-long polling, British people seem to just put this piece right at the top. Do you feel like it's a a worthy piece to hold that title years years on and and on? Uh, That's a funny question. You know, I think it it somehow captures something about the English countryside, which really taps into the psyche of anybody who perhaps lives in the Commonwealth, because it's the same polls in New Zealand and everywhere. It always ranks top. Actually, it's kind of funny. In New Zealand, there at one point was a Facebook page called think unsettling the score that was dedicated to finding a different piece to replace the Lark Ascending at the top of greatest classical hits of all time. Um, but it's one of those things, ranking classical music is a little bit silly. You know, it's like, it's it's a great piece of music. It's nothing like Beethoven 5. It's nothing like anything else in the program. And I would say that's kind of the joy of this decade's program that we're doing. The idea is that you can have these pieces written all in the same decade and see so much variety, you know, between Sibelius 7, between Bolero and the Lark Ascending, you know, you can't get pieces that are as different as that. And the idea that they're all composed within a few years of each other is kind of amazing. Uh, so Jonathan, the title, Lark Ascending, it obviously makes one look to the sky and think of birds. It's based on a poem, right? So the inspiration for you, is it going to High Park and, and <laughs> watching, going, going and watching birds? Or are you reading the poem? What's, what's, what are you getting from the text? Um, I would say it's a mix of different things. Um, I, I did go on the internet and Google the sounds of a lark. Um, it's the kind of thing, it's, it's hard to record a lark in the wild and get much out of it, right? Because you can imagine it's a long way away. It's probably flying at the time. And so you hear a lot of kind of disjointed sounds. And if, if you can find all kinds of websites on the internet. They're, yet, they're more scientific, of course, dedicated to this. Um, and so I kind of searched through and looked for bits of the piece that sounded like the lark. And in my opinion, it's not so much specific sounds. It's not like Messin, who's writing specific bird calls, trying to make specific bird sounds, um, but more the idea, again, the idea of the countryside, the idea of this kind of very ancient landscape, the lark kind of going around, and, and the idea that that conjure, conjures perhaps more of a, a vision rather than a specific noise from a specific bird. Would you mind playing a little bit for us? 
Of course. This is the main opening melody of the Lark Ascending. This comes after the opening violin cadenza, and this is where the orchestra comes in, and it's such an amazing moment because they've had, you know, about three minutes of real emptiness and stillness, and suddenly you get these fantastic chords. It's brilliant. was TSO concertmaster Jonathan Crow. You can catch him performing Vaughn Williams' The Lark Ascending this Wednesday and Friday with the TSO. Tickets are available at tso.ca. You're listening to the TSO Podcast. Stay with us. The TSO performs a fascinating work for throat singers and orchestra this Friday. The piece is called Inuit Games. It's written by Winnipeg-based composer Pat Carabray. He joins us on the line now to tell us about the piece. Pat, welcome to the show. Well, it's a real pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. Can you tell us a little bit about Inuit Games? Yes, absolutely. It's one of those pieces that uh, I was a little bit conflicted about when I got the offer, but I'm really, really pleased in the long run that I I decided to knuckle down and write the piece. I mean, you can imagine the Winnipeg Symphony said, can you write us a piece to go on a show with Susan Aglukark? And I said, (laughs) not really. Uh, That's not exactly what I do. And they said, oh, yeah, and we want Inuit throat singers in it. I went, oh, man, this is a minefield, Uh, you know, with the whole cultural appropriation business. And I had never worked with Inuit throat singers, but uh, sent out a little email to some colleagues up north, and within less than a week, I had several throat singing pairs who had emailed me and said, yes, we'd love to do this. We think it's a great idea. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, it was really amazing that it happened so fast, and it just happened also that the two singers I ended up working with, one of them was going to be in Winnipeg the next week. So we were able to talk it over and agreed on how we would work together to write the piece. So it was a huge experience, though, just to hear how they worked with each other, hear the musical ideas that they were playing with, and then try and figure out how to reflect that back in a Western classical orchestra. Right, so that you're talking about Pauline and Anukshuk. Yeah, they were both living in, um, in Rankin Inlet at the time, and so they would go into their little room in, in their place and, and put the cassette player on and, and do the recordings, and then send them through the mail to me, and then I would sit in my studio here in Brandon and listen to these amazing sounds. What did you learn about throat singing while you were writing this? Well, yeah, I had to learn several things because it's it's a very traditional uh, art form for the Inuit, and they... Uh, mostly women, I mean traditionally only women, and there's a couple of different styles. They have a competition style, and they have a kind of playful thing, and then they have a a way to sing like a melodic fragment that goes back and forth one note in each singer, which which for us in Western classical music we call a hocket. So they, they... 
you know, had several of those different kinds of pieces, and I thought, okay, I could use one of these here and one of these there, and kind of show off how the orchestra could do the same thing. So you have some mimicking going on between the styles. Well, trying to find some common ground, because I think that's the wonderful thing about cross-cultural musical experiences, is that there's inevitably some kind of musical activity that we share in terms of how we work with musical ideas, and you know, for me, that was the great thing about bringing these two very different styles of music together in on one stage. Well, we're so looking forward to playing your piece, Pat. Thank you so much for speaking with us. Oh, real pleasure. Thanks a lot. I'm looking forward to it, too. That was Pat Carabray. You can hear his piece, Inuit Games, performed this Friday by the TSO. That brings us to the end of this week's TSO podcast. Don't forget to let us know what you think of the show. Send an email to community at tso.ca or leave a note on our Facebook or Twitter pages. For more music and stories from the Toronto Symphony Orchestra, join us on Sunday night with the TSO. That's every Sunday at 8 p.m. on the new Classical FM. I'm Kathleen Kajioka. Join us next Monday for another episode of the TSO podcast. Ardour, grandeur and hypnotic excitement, your Toronto Symphony has it all. I'm TSO Music Director Peter Ungen, inviting you on a trip back in time to the Roaring Twenties. Here, Concertmaster Jonathan Crowe lend his impeccable technique to the lark-ascending, magnificent principal violist Tung Lee in the stunning Walton Viola Concerto, followed by a glorious performance of Sibelius's magnificent Seventh Symphony. Embrace the best of the Twenties, November 9th and 11th at Roy Thompson Hall. For tickets, visit tso.ca.